Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Tie game. Shotgun snap to Lawrence. In the pocket, throws on a cross. It's Kirk from left to right. Goes up the right sideline to the 30. Kirk inside the 20. Chase to the 10. Breaks the tackle at the 5. And Christian Kirk all the way. 44 yards for a Jacksonville touchdown. And the Jaguars grab a 30-24 to lead. Well, that was the moment the Jaguars avoided what would have been a historic collapse, or more accurately, a historic comeback. I saw Josh Dubo of the AP tweeted last night after the Saints erased a 15-point deficit. They'd never come back and won while trailing by 15 or more points entering the fourth quarter ever. Zero and 135. Now 0-136 because the Jaguars, Peter, after the foot came completely off the gas. Once they were up 24-9, they just thought it was over. The Saints didn't comply, and we ended up with a pretty exciting finish. And good morning. Good morning, Mike. You know, I, I don't want to be Joe negative on this morning, but if you're watching that game and you're a Saints fan, I, I was... I don't want to say alarmed, but I would say surprised that here we are in game seven of the Derek Carr era, or maybe we should call it the Derek Carr experiment in New Orleans. (laughs) And he was, and I mean, I guess it was the offense in general, but it sure seemed like to me it was directed at him. He was booed lustily at this game last night. And, you know, I have a theory on this, okay? And my theory is that, um, you know, NFL fans have very, very convenient memories. NFL fans think of 
think of themselves as being very sophisticated and, and all that. But in essence, they are very optimistic human beings. And the New Orleans Saints fan in the offseason thought, oh my God, we got the biggest break on the planet. We got Derek Carr. And the Raiders totally mismanaged him last year. And we are going to be the beneficiaries of that. Conveniently forgetting that the guy who worked with Tom Brady for much of two decades and who Brady has said, basically, you know, I just let Josh handle the offense. You know what I'm paraphrasing? But it was Josh McDaniels who basically designed what the Patriots ran for a long time. And so, and so he goes to the Raiders and it ends in an ugly divorce after 15 games. So ugly that Derek Carr doesn't even show up for the last two weeks of the season. But everybody said, hey, listen, it's, it's you know, this has got to be McDaniel's fault. This can't be Derek Carr's fault. Guy's had a good career. He's going to go somewhere and be good again. And Mike, I just look back on last year. We talked about this. I just look back at last year. And here's a guy, Derek Carr, who threw for 310 yards in a game one time last year. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Zero times last year. And in the first seven games this year, he's done it once. So 310 yards in a game is, I don't want to say it's modest, but it's just, you know, it's good, but it's not great. And he's done it one time now, you know, in his last 22 games. And I mean, Mac Jones has done it more. Daniel Jones has done it more. Pick any quarterback, basically, in the NFL who's been playing and is warm-blooded, and they've done it more than Derek Carr. And I'm just making this point. There was so much, especially in the first, say, two and a half quarters or so, there was so much dysfunction in that offense last night where, you know, on one of the times he throws the ball to nobody in the left flat when Alvin Kamara is running upfield. Now, that's probably Kamara's fault. He went like this. It's Kamara's fault. But time and again, he is misfiring. And I just look at this, and again, I don't mean to slight the Jaguars. They got a road win against a decent team. Not a great team, maybe not even a good team. But they got a road win against a decent team. And good for them with a quarterback who was who was hurting and all that. But, Mike, I just don't think things look good for the New Orleans Saints in their offense. And it's going to be easy to forget how they struggled throughout much of the game because after the pick six by Foye Aluakon, scores the touchdown, Josh Allen does the are you not entertained and no, at the moment I wasn't. It was 24 to 9. I'm not entertained. I'm bored. It's over. I became entertained once the Jaguars stopped playing defense and the Saints started clicking and it was 24 24. Then I was very entertained. 
I was very entertained as the teams traded possessions at 24-all. I was extremely entertained when Christian Kirk ran faster than he has since he was at Texas A&M. He said that after the game en route to the end zone. I was extremely entertained as the Saints drove down to potentially tie it up or who knows, maybe go for two and walk off win short of overtime. That was entertaining. It didn't become entertaining until it looked like it was over. And it was one of those scores where, man, this is 24-9, but it feels like the Jaguars are beating them a lot worse than that. How did that game end up being tied? That's what was amazing. So one of the reasons that it was 24-9 and should have been worse is because, as you said, the Saints offense just doesn't seem to be clicking. They've got pieces They just aren't getting the ball to them at the right time, in the right spots. Alvin Kamara still looks like he has some burst, although 3.6 yards per carry, 17 attempts, 62 yards. A lot of lateral running and not hitting the edge by Alvin Kamara. Just go north-south. He had one big run. and back One big run. Yeah. Yeah. And back to Carr. Back to Carr. He threw the ball 55 times last night for 301 yards. That's an average of 5.4 yards per attempt. That's not good. That's not an offense that's clicking. You have to be at least seven in today's NFL for people to say, okay, you're doing all right. Now, there was a time when seven yards per attempt was a big deal. Now seven is the bare minimum to make a plausible argument that your offense works the way it should. Eight, nine, ten is when people start saying, well, okay, I'm I'm impressed by what your offense is doing. 5.4 is not impressive. You look at the Jaguars, only 204 for Trevor Lawrence, but seven yards per attempt. That gets you on the fringe of, all right, things are working. You're moving the ball well. And neither team was explosive last night on offense, except for Trevor Lawrence when he ran the ball, Peter. Look at that 59 rushing yards, career high. And I think they may have rope-a-doped the Saints a little bit into thinking he was going to stay in the pocket with that giant knee brace on, with the knee injury that had him questionable for the game. He threw caution to the wind four or five different times, and he was turning on the Jets. There was a run, second half, a drive that didn't do much of anything after the game was tied at 24. I mean, he's as fast as any quarterback in the NFL when he took off despite that knee brace. So we're... We're kind of pivoting from Saints dysfunction to what worked for the Jaguars. There he goes there. Uh, One of the things that worked best is the last thing we expected to see last night was Trevor Lawrence running the ball with that knee injury. Yeah, and Trevor Lawrence, look, you know, I think what Doug Peterson, I think Doug Peterson said to Kaylee Hartung, you know, about, uh, you know, how Doug, uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, was playing well, seemed comfortable. You're watching the game and you're saying, what injury? And are you serious that he was questionable coming into this game? Now, with an injury like that, a lot of times moving laterally is what you can't do. But Mike, Trevor Lawrence seemed fine last night. Um, and and again, I I look at the Jaguars right now and maybe it is that you know they haven't played very many what i would call complete games this year and they've had a couple of bad days you know their 20 point loss at home to houston that's a bad day and and so we'll see about the jaguars they seem to be the best of a bad division uh and so i think they're going to win that division but I think we all thought at the beginning of the year that they had a heck of a chance to not just get in the playoffs and be the fourth seed. Uh, 
But, you know, I picked them to be the top seed because their schedule is soft and because I thought they were coming at the end of last year. And they got to start playing complete games, I think. And, and look, they beat Buffalo in London. They beat Atlanta in London. That's, that's, they swept their two London games in eight days. That's great. Um, and so I think they're a good team. How good they are, uh, it's crazy to say. We may not know that much about it because if you look at their schedule, they don't have a lot of pitfalls on their schedule the rest of the way. Oh, and, and that's the key. That's one of the reasons why you made them the number one seed because of that schedule. And they are five and two at a time when there's a handful of great teams, a handful of horrible teams, and everybody else in the middle. Who's going to emerge from the middle? And the Jaguars, who started one and two, they got that week one win at Indy, lost at home to the Chiefs, embarrassed by the Texans. They've now just been checking them off one at a time, four in a row. And here they are at five and two. And as they mentioned last night on the broadcast, we're not going to see much of them between now and mid-November. They've got the Steelers after their mini-buy in Pittsburgh. Then they have their full-buy. Then they've got the 49ers November 12 at home. Next two games, we're going to learn a lot about the Jaguars. Can they go into a place like Pittsburgh where even when the Steelers' offense is doing absolutely nothing, gaining negative yards, they still find a way to win with that defense and the support they get from the crowd. Can they win in Pittsburgh? And there was a time, 2007, and this is their best start since 2007, the Jaguars won twice in Pittsburgh that year in the regular season and in the playoffs. Can they do that again as they try to have one of their best years that we've seen in a very long time? So, look, I agree with you. They haven't played a complete game yet. Not many teams have played a complete game yet this year. The Jaguars who I thought were kind of the AFC equivalent of the Lions and at least had made it to the playoffs, yeah. unlike the Lions. They made it to the playoffs. They won a game. They gave the Chiefs more than we thought they were going to give them. They covered the spread late on a touchdown as they were trying to wipe out a 10-point deficit, yada, yada. They were a team that you could peg, and you were right to make them a potential number one seed. I think it was a smart decision, and they still could be because as these other teams – fight amongst themselves, these other great teams, and necessarily deal out losses to each other. The Jaguars, once they get through these next two, they start pulling cards that are winner, 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 and they could finish 13-4 and four or 12-5 and five and maybe be in position, not just to win the division, maybe get a fairly high spot on the playoff tree. Let's hear a little bit from Trevor Lawrence. That knee injury he got late in the Colts game when he was gator-rolled. Uh, and it looked like maybe he wasn't going to play. Here he is on how the knee feels after those 59 rushing yards, and he looked perfectly fine otherwise on the night. It's good. I mean, golly, it's crazy how you have a you have something like that going on. You don't plan on moving a lot, and you end up running the ball more than I, I usually do. So it's just it's funny how that works. But um, you know, it felt pretty good. I was happy with it, and. Didn't bother me too much. Definitely didn't, you know, set it back. So I'm really, really happy with it. That was the goal is play, find a way to win the game and not set it back. And we get 10 days now to, to recover and get ready for Pittsburgh. So, I mean, it went perfect, honestly. So that was <clears throat> really good. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. 
They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And he finally got a win at the Superdome. His only two losses in three years at Clemson came in that building. And he finally got the win. Had to do it the hard way. Had to earn it. Should have been easier than it was. But I think one of the reasons he's smiling, not just the fact that the knee got no worse, because we didn't see him take any awkward hits. He knew how to avoid and protect that knee. But he finally won in New Orleans. And that's a huge swing game. When you think about how we view the Jaguars, think of what we'd be saying about them today, Peter, if they had lost that game. Four and three, and you blow a game like that, and the Saints had never come back from 15 or more points in the fourth quarter, to starting the fourth quarter down that much to win a game ever in franchise history, and you let them do it when it was 24-9 and should have been worse, and you let them do it. We, we would have we spent the first hour of the show saying, my God, the house is on fire for the Jaguars. And now they've got the Steelers and the 49ers, and they're maybe going to be four and five by the time they get a chance to start digging out of this. So uh, it was a good night for the Jaguars that could have gone sideways very easily. And uh, uh, like I said, we, we would we would have a much different attitude and view of them this morning if they hadn't found a way to settle it down score the late touchdown after it was tied up, and then hold off the Saints at the very end. You know, let's just say one other thing about sort of what we learned out of this game. And I think what we learned a lot of in this game was that in the important moments of the game, and I am going to accept E-X-C-E-P-T, uh, you know, the end of this game, uh, even though obviously it is an important part of the game. But throughout this game, until late, until the fourth quarter, really, uh, I just think there was so much to worry about for the future of the New Orleans Saints. 
And, and, and I'll just bring up one number that I did last night after the game. I mean, the Saints, uh, over the last five games, and that includes a 34 to nothing victory over the Patriots, over the last five games, they are 30% on third down conversions. They're 23 out of 76. And that is awful. It's just, it's awful. There's no other word to describe a team that has Alvin Kamara, Chris Olave, uh, you know, decent tight ends, uh, Michael Thomas. Uh, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, really, that this team is not better on offense. And I think, I think last night we saw Kirk Herbstreet did a good thing on one of his replays where he showed in the red zone when uh, when exactly Derek Carr should have pulled the trigger and should have made a throw and had enough space to fit a ball into a tight window in the end zone, but he had space. And by the time he threw it, the window was gone. And, you know, maybe we're just seeing really what Derek Carr is, which is a guy who has had some great opportunities like last year and then handed another franchise this year. Maybe he's just not that good, Mike. And I, I, well, I am hesitant. I'm hesitant to cast his career, you know, in, in the, in the trash bin, but the last two years, the last year and a half, rather, just say some very, very concerning and very negative things about Derek Carr. And if you are Mickey Loomis, if you're Dennis Allen, if you're Pete Carmichael, if you're the people who are really in charge of this offense, you really have to start thinking, are we going to have, have to make another change at the end of the year? And their cap situation is so horrible that it's almost like they'd have to start over with a rookie uh, and and basically take their lumps, which when you have a veteran defense, that's something you just don't want to do. Well, and Peter, you alluded earlier to the fact that Josh McDaniels, the Raiders coach, decided after one year with Derek Carr to move on. That wasn't the vibe they tried to create when he signed in April of 2022 what was reported as a three-year, $121.5 million extension with, you know, and, and we you hear all the superlatives when the contract is done and it's handed to the reporters who will rush to Twitter and paint it as the greatest thing ever. And I remember when I got the actual contract and started picking through it, it's like, hey, hey, everybody, hey, everybody who's saying this is a great deal. There's some language in here that makes it pretty clear that they can cut this guy after one season if they want to. This is a one-year experiment with a little bit of a raise. It's a one-year experiment between Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr. And lo and behold, that's why they benched him after 15 games. They needed him to be healthy so they could cut him right after the Super Bowl. If he wasn't healthy, they wouldn't have been able to cut him, and they would have been stuck with $40 million additional in full guarantees that's why it was Jared Stidham time. That's why he disappeared. He was upset, etc. Now, Peter, we pivot to what the Saints did after he finally became available. The Saints are stuck. Now, they don't have to play him, but they're stuck 
through 2024, 70 million over two years minimum. And there's guarantees that go into the third year that they would have to hope that someone will sign him and they'll get an offset, another 10 million. So they made a real commitment. They didn't do a one-year experiment, even though it very much feels like an experiment, as you said earlier. They're stuck financially. Doesn't mean they have to play him. Doesn't mean they can't draft somebody or go with someone else. But financially, they're in a tough spot. Unless they could trade him in the offseason, I don't know who you trade that contract to when you look at the film that he's generating. And there's nothing wrong with saying a guy is kind of as good as he's ever going to be. I say it about Kirk Cousins. Like, after how many years does a guy have to play before that's where he is? He's got his plateau. He's who he is. He'll win right. some games. He'll lose some games. He'll make some throws. He'll make some mistakes. He'll show up sometimes, and sometimes he won't. And, you know, every team needs a starting quarterback, and there aren't 32 franchise quarterbacks. And there are middle-of-the-pack, lower-of-the-pack guys, and Derek Carr has been a fringe top-20 guy, in my mind, for a long time. Now, sometimes his numbers will put him fringe top-10, but compiling numbers is one thing. Compiling wins, showing up in big spots is another, and it's something that frankly and with all due respect and he can't block me on twitter because he already has he just hasn't shown up on a sufficiently regular basis peter if he was capable of it he'd still be the quarterback of the raiders i mean uh, it's mike i was in henderson nevada last year in july at the start of training camp and josh mcdaniels allowed me to sit in on a post practice meeting with Derek Carr and what they were doing is because Derek Carr was kind of the coach on the field he because it was a new offense for everybody they were just going through some of the questions and some of the nuances of the offense took about a half hour they did it every day after practice and I mean I said man these guys are totally on the same page uh, they have a clear understanding, and 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 McDaniel's was empowering uh, Derek Carr to go in and to say X, Y, and Z to his tight end or to his running back about how to run a specific route and and how precise to make this cut and all this stuff. And so I just I walked away from there and say, man, this is going to be a good marriage. And I think that what happens when things don't go well as a team, it probably is on both sides. Uh, I, I think clearly it's on both sides. But I do think that there was a higher degree of optimism in Derek Carr's ability to you know, process information very quickly, to make the throw absolutely on time, and to be able to run a precision offense, kind of the way Tom Brady ran it in New England. And you never had to worry about any of that stuff with Tom Brady. But it appears, watching Derek Carr over the last year and a half, you really have to worry about it with Derek Carr. So, look, again, I'm not trying to, you know, rain on everybody's parade. It's not over for the Saints. You know, clearly, it's not a great division, so I mean they they've they've got a chance to scratch out some wins and and all that but 
I'm just saying this does not appear to be the quarterback you're going to build this team around for the next five years. There's another angle that I want to address with you, Peter, as it relates to Derek Carr and his in-game countenance. I want to give him the benefit of explaining himself before I offer my theories and my predictions as to how this could go poorly for him and the Saints. We see a lot of frustration from Carr, a lot of blaming of other people from Carr during the game. And I wonder how much of it is for the benefit of those of us watching so we know it's not his fault. It's somebody else's fault when that ball lands in a perfectly uncovered space of green turf when no one is around and someone should have been there. It's never his fault. It's always someone else's fault. And that manifests itself in this constant parade of frustration that he shows. Let's hear from him after the game about the frustration he displays routinely from the moment the game starts till the moment the game ends. I, you know, I've been showing my emotion a little bit too much on, on my sleeve, you know, like uh, I, I kind of got to chill out, you know, and that's me holding myself accountable because that's not going to help anything. And so just trying to be a calming influence in those moments, especially when it's been a couple of times it's happened, that heightened frustration, I, I could do a better job as a leader to calm everybody down. Like the past two weeks, I've just been talking in general, um, you know, because there was some things, and you know I'm not going to tell you, but there were some things um, that happened today that led to some pretty big negative plays that should never happen. And um, I think that's where my frustration was coming from. Well, I mean, he's kind of, you know, again, it's not his fault. It's not my fault. People are screwing up. It's not my fault. Hey, you, why aren't you doing your job? Hey, man, what's wrong with you? Why you do do that? You know, it was a constant barrage of why didn't you do the thing you were supposed to do? And if you had done the thing you were supposed to do, the play would have worked. It can't be me. It must be you. And I think back, and I hate to mention John Gruden, and John Gruden did coach Derek Carr fairly effectively when we consider what we see from Carr now. I think back to when Gruden was at ESPN and he did that quarterback pre-draft show. I can't remember yeah. the name of it. Quarterback Where he camp. would meet with yeah, and work with. Camp. Quarterback camp. He would meet with and work with the various incoming draft picks. And it was early on in the life cycle of that series. Jimmy Clausen. Remember Jimmy Clausen? The guy that Mel Kuyper said he would yes. retire yeah. if Jimmy Clausen didn't become a franchise quarterback and I don't know where Jimmy Clausen is, but I know what Mel Kuyper's still doing. So, but he met with Jimmy Clausen, and, 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 and it was very revealing because they were going over some film, and Golden Tate was playing for Notre Dame at the time, and Gruden was doing that, you know, that, you know, maybe that's where Derek Carr learned how to make those faces, but Gruden was doing that whole thing, and, and Clausen said, well, Golden Tate ran the wrong route. Right. And it was basically Golden Tate screwed up. And Gruden said something then that I think was one of the most profound in a positive way things that Gruden has ever said. It's never the receiver's fault. It's never the receiver's fault. It's always your fault. It's always your fault as the quarterback of the team. And think about what the gesticulations and histrionics. I'm trying to rival your SAT words here. Of Derek Carr, think about what that does to his teammates. 
Think about that. Yeah. Because when he is on their asses constantly, those guys are going to hear about it from friends. They're going to hear about it from family. What's wrong with your quarterback? Why is he in your face? Why is he blaming you? And that is going to be a major problem for the New Orleans Saints. The way he acts during games and the way he puts it on his teammates and the way he gets in their faces is going to harm the relationship to the point where they're going to want to just get him the hell out of there by the time the season's over. They're not going to like him. They're not going to respect him. They're not going to respond to him as he's trying to lead them. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think, listen, when I heard, I didn't know what Derek Carr said before you just played that bite. I mean, I, I think he, and again, look, clouded it was unspecific, but he basically said, unless he had said, had some even phraseology in there, phrasing, where he said, hey, listen, I blew two specific things today that are my fault, and there's nobody to blame but me, but there's a bunch of things that went on today that we all have to work on, blah, 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 blah. But what he said was he left a clear impression that, and maybe he didn't mean this, but he did leave the clear impression that it's not my fault, that it's other guys who are making these mistakes and not me. But, and if he didn't mean that, I would suggest to him that he come out and clarify that pretty immediately because it's one thing to say, that I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. And he did not throw anybody specifically under the bus. But he seemed to, seemed to. Okay, and I want to be very careful in saying this because I don't know what he meant by this. Maybe he meant, hey, it's all my fault. Sure didn't sound like it. But no. maybe he he really seemed to mean that John Doe, John Q. Public, Joe tight end, they're the ones who made the mistakes in this game, not me. But I'm just telling you that Kirk Herbstreet analysis in that play uh, in the end zone was a pretty obvious thing, at least to me. It was a pretty obvious thing where, uh, you know, he just missed a receiver. And a quarterback to have credibility on his team, really, the quarterback to have credibility on his team. He's got to say at moments like that, you know, and he should have added in his post-game thing, I missed a couple of receivers badly in this game, and that's on me. And and look, we saw at the end of the game, Fabian Moreau, it wasn't an easy catch. It was it would have been a fingertip grab, but he probably should have had the ball. You know, let's just say he should have had that ball. But, man, he threw 55 passes last night. They didn't all get dropped in the corner of the end zone. There were a lot that should have been complete and just weren't. And here's that play to Fabian Moreau that, you know, clearly we can look at this and say, man, he really should have caught that ball. And he should have caught it. But, anyway, I just think that what Carr said in that bite that you played, to me it's troublesome. Well, and Peter, we can't just look at it in isolation as we try to interpret it. You're being very charitable and kind to Derek Carr here, and you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. We have to put that up against 
everything we saw from him during the game. When we factor his words in with what we saw during the game, he's clearly blaming others. It's not him saying, I got to be better. Not I mean, He's got to be better in how he deals with his teammates. It's not him saying he's got to be better in distributing the football accurately. Guys are going to make mistakes. Guys are going to run their own routes. It's, raw, it's on you as the quarterback to factor that in to your decisions you make when you distribute the football. And it's on you as the leader of the team to not be perceived as the guy who is constantly calling out your players, your teammates, your brethren in public. It is a basic reality of leadership and management. When you have something go wrong, serenity now, and we'll talk about it away from the prying eyes of the TV cameras. We'll have the conversation in a meeting room, on the bus, in practice, and we'll work on it. It serves no purpose getting in someone's face and making it clear during the game. And Peter, I really do think that a lot, I'm not going to name names here, but somebody made the point last night that he's, he's like a guy who's playing a quarterback in a movie and he's acting the way that he thinks he should act and that it's all for show and that it's all for the cameras. And you'd have to be foolish to not be hyper aware of the presence of the cameras during games. So I firmly believe he's putting it all on others and not on himself. And I firmly believe he's going to have an issue. If he didn't already have one, he's going to have one in the locker room. And he should because it's disrespectful to your teammates. Remember January 2006. I got the article up. Colts are the number one seed. Colts are steamrolling their way finally to Peyton Manning's crowning moment. Steelers show up at the RCA Dome at the time. That's how long ago it was, before Lucas Oil Stadium. Steelers show up and beat them. Remember Ben Roethlisberger has the play where he tackles the guy after Jerome Bettis fumbles and saves the game. After the game, after the game, this is what Peyton Manning said. And he got dragged for it. Then this is all he said. I'm trying to be a good teammate here. Let's just say we had some problems in protection. I'll give Pittsburgh credit for the blitzes in their rush. Those guys rushed, but we did have some protection problems. That's all he said. And he got waylaid for being a bad teammate. Look at that. And look at what happened last night. And it is night and day from the standpoint of, again, what a good leader does. You get in people's faces when you have to, but you don't do it in a way that embarrasses them with 50,000 people in the stadium and 15 million at home watching as it happens. That is a fundamental flaw in Derek Carr's ability to lead, and that's why I think a lot of those guys in that locker room are going to wish and hope and pray that they get rid of him after this year. I mean, look, Mike, I, I would bet that if you spent one half hour on the New Orleans Saints cap after the show today. At any point today, if you look at the Saints cap for 2024, you would scratch your head and you would say, how in the world are they going to fix this if, if, if they have to change quarterbacks? I mean, I just looked at it briefly last night and, you know, I'm not a capologist, but this is going to be a very difficult thing to do if for seemingly like the fourth straight year, 
if they think about going in a different direction at quarterback, and I don't mean different direction, if they go with a different quarterback, you know, starting with, what was it, Breeze in 2020 or 2021, whatever it was. I'm going back a couple of years now. But, you know, you go Breeze, and then what do you do after that? Okay, you you lose out on Tom Brady, and so then you decide... And you lost out on Tom Brady because Breeze stayed. Don't get me wrong. But then you start to figure out, okay, what are we going to do at quarterback? And they decided to go veteran. And let's see what we can do. Competition between Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston. It's just, it's been an absolute mess. And if Derek Carr in the next five, six games isn't better, I mean, I don't know what the Saints are going to do. Honestly, I just, I don't know. They have a good uh, Swiss Army knife in Taysom Hill. I mean, as much as everybody says, oh my God, Taysom Hill, you got to, you know, you got to move on from him or you got to, you could never count on him to be the quarterback. I'll tell you this right now, Mike. You polled a thousand Saints fans this morning in the French Quarter. And you ask who they want to be their starting quarterback. Taysom Hill would win 950 to 50, you know. And, and, and so I don't know what the Saints are going to do. I really don't know. But, man, it's got to be discouraging right now for the people who run that team. Um, one last point before we move on to one other thing that we, we alluded to earlier, and I want to unpack the final moment that really sealed it for the Saints in a bad way. I thought of you last night as we were seeing Derek Carr constantly acting upset and constantly being frustrated. It reminded me of when Costanza was convinced that if you act pissed off all the time at work, they'll think you're busy. (laughs) And I thought he was mentally ill. But they, they, you know, act upset all the time and they'll think you're working really hard and you're really busy. But it was just it was just bizarre. And if I was a Saints fan, I'd just be so disheartened by the state of the franchise right now and by the fact that they put their trust in a guy that the Raiders fired after one season with a new regime. So um, but we showed the Foster Moreau. A Mike moment at the back. of the, Go ahead. Mike. Go ahead. I, I, ju- I just want to take I just want to give you one quiz. Okay, right now. And this probably here we are almost 40 minutes into the show of burying Derek Carr. Okay, but but I, I just want to give you one quiz and see if you can get this. All right. Got it. Since the Ready. start of the 2022 season, since the start of the 2022 season, of all players who've thrown the ball 500 times or more since the start of 2022. So in other words, you know, fairly regular starting quarterbacks, 500 attempts in the last, you know, 23, 24 games. Okay, 500 attempts. Derek Carr is 17th out of 19 qualifiers in passer rating. Who are the only two quarterbacks below him? Since the start of the 2022 season, I would say, hmm, hmm, hmm. They're both AFC. That's wow. my clue. Okay. 
Uh, Kenny Pickett would be one. Would Kenny Pickett be one? That's on the correct. Right track? The okay. next one's easy. And Come the on. Other- the next one's easy. Now, see, it's making it. It's making it. I'm freaking out because it's supposed to be easy. <laughs> Is it Jimmy Garoppolo? Is it Jimmy Garoppolo? No, no, he doesn't oh. have. He doesn't have 500 attempts. Who is it? Who's the other one? Who'd I miss that's hiding in plain sight? Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Michael McCorkle Jones. God, yes. That, yes. Yes. Uh, my bad. But My bad. But, See, but again, I'm not going to blame again, you. It's my fault. It's your fault because you asked me a bad question. <laughs> we got some issues here, Peter, that we're going to have to work out after the show. This is your fault. <laughs> no, listen. Listen. You wouldn't say we got to work these out. You would just uh, go to break, and what you would do before break <laughs> is rip the crap out of me without giving me a chance to <laughs> to, <laughs> to respond. <laughs> I said, I said to last night, why? I said to somebody last night, why is it that every time something goes bad, Derek Carr does the Bobby Knight game face? Remember when they asked Bobby Knight, "What's your game face?" <laughs> what? And what do you mean game face? And he's doing all that stuff anyway. Uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, Foster Moreau. At the back of the end. The one time that Carr didn't lose his mind, which is amazing to me. The guy drops the touchdown pass, and Carr's just kind of flatlined. But Moreau, let's show that again before we hear from Foster Moreau on the drop, because I felt bad for the kid. He's been through so much, fought cancer and won. Saints stuck by him. And look, stuff happens. Stuff happens. And I don't know, maybe if four had zipped it in there a little bit better instead of trying to put a little air under it, I don't know. But it needed to make it to him. And stuff happens. It's okay. We all make mistakes. I felt bad for the kid. He was devastated. Here he is after the game talking about the drop that would have put the Saints within one with a chance to either tie or maybe go for two and walk off as the winners. Here he is. Yeah, you know, it's tough. It's, uh, you know, in front of every man, woman, and child I've ever, I've ever known, you know, um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a dark place to be. It's the National Football League. Um, it doesn't come down to one play, but it comes down to one play. Um, the team fought. The team fought as hard as, as we did, and um, it's just unacceptable. It's just pathetic. Yeah, you know, uh, tough spot, raw moment, and it, it happens. It happens, and. He's right. It doesn't come down to one play, but it does come down to one play. There's a lot of other reasons why the Saints didn't win the game, but that was the the opportunity. And they still had one more crack at the end zone, and Carr threw a very bad pass. I don't know what he was thinking with your one final shot at the end zone. It it didn't even have a chance, but that one had a chance. That one could have been caught, and that one, you know, arguably should have been caught. And and it happens. You factor that in. To any team, any game, things like that can occur. It's not like he tried to drop it. It's not like he said, hey, this is my chance to blow the game. And it's just a shame that it happened. I feel bad for him. He's come such a long way, and uh, I feel bad for what happened to him in that moment. He's absolutely right. You know, after a game, when players say, hey, it never comes down to one play, well, of course it doesn't. There's 168 plays on average in a game. So it doesn't come down to one play. But the fact is, when there's 29 seconds to go and you have a ball that touches both of your hands and you're wide open in the end zone and you don't catch it, 
you know, it's hard to think that that play didn't get, didn't significantly cost his team a chance to win the game. And look, it's a football game. We'll all get over it. Everybody will get over it. And and really, Foster Moreau has already this year won at the game of life in overcoming a you know a scary uh, battle with an insidious disease. So. I don't think there's anybody out there who is saying, oh, you bum. And plus, he stood up, he addressed it after being clearly devastated about it. So there's absolutely no brickbats to throw at this guy. I can't I can't think of anything negative to say other than, you know, if you're watching at home and seeing that, and again, I'm going to overstate this. But that seems to be, if you're a parent, that is the way you want your child to grow up. You want your child to be accountable. You want your child to admit when he or she is wrong. And you also want your child to pour everything he or she has into a profession, whatever profession it is. And when you have a very bad day, you should feel it. You shouldn't just slough it off and just say, ah, well, you know, we'll get them next time. I honestly think that's why a lot of fans in Denver last year got so ticked off at Russell Wilson. You know, it could be the worst game of the year, a horrible outcome, terrible end. And Russell Wilson says, ah, you know, we're going to get him tomorrow. I'm going to be here at 5.30 in the morning and we're going to start working on the next one and we're going to do this. I mean, part of that is wonderful and, and all that, but, you know, he, he it's just like he's never wounded by a game. And, and this is your profession. And so, look, it takes all kinds. I'm, so, I mean, I'm not in here to, to trash Russell Wilson. I don't mean that. But I am saying that I really appreciate what I saw and heard out of Foster Moreau last night. Well, and I think what you're speaking to, Peter, is something that I'm always very sensitive to because we all appreciate authenticity. We appreciate people who are genuine. We appreciate people who are real. And as a result of that, we are constantly on the lookout for Fugazi. Car, Fugazi. Russ at times, a little Fugazi. A little too much. I am acting the way that I think I should act in this moment, not the way I truly feel, not the person I truly am. I am putting on a show for the cameras and the microphones, and I'm saying the things that I think I should say. I am doing the things I think I should do instead of just sharing with you how I feel in this moment, who I am as a human being. I had a bad day. We all have bad days. You're going to witness my bad day, and you're going to see me try to overcome it, and maybe that helps you when you're having a bad day. That's so much better than trying to play this role of a guy that you think you should be in moments like that instead of the guy you are. I want to say one last thing about Foster Moreau because I was impressed by something I saw from him after one of those moments when Carr was doing his Bobby Knight game faces. They're on the sideline, and it was Carr, Alvin Kamara, Foster Moreau, and one other player, and I'm not sure who it was because Moreau was in the way. But when you watch the interaction – Moreau was the one who was leading. Moreau was the one who was bridging the gaps and telling people, this is how we need to do it. And like he'd motion a car, you need to do this. And Kamara, you need to do that. There's a maturity to Moreau that that team desperately needs. 
And maybe that's why at the end of the day, Carr didn't have a face to make when Moreau made that, that drop because Moreau may be the glue that's holding that offense together. And it's getting harder and harder to hold it together. But that moment from the sideline, Peter, I don't know if you noticed it, but you could just tell by the body language. Yeah. Moreau, Moreau was the guy who was trying to bring Carr and that pissy attitude that he showed all night long together with the guys who were on the wrong end of it. And let's just work this toward what we're trying to do tonight, which is score at least one more point than the Jaguars. So I think Moreau is a key quiet. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to come out and prove to anyone what he's doing. He's quietly, just my assessment, quietly serving as a leader, a friend, a brother to the guys in the locker room. And I think he knows how to do it the right way. And Derek Carr would be very wise to seek him out for a heart to heart today and say, help, help me be the leader I need to be for this team, because I know something's off. Help me be what I need to be to turn this team around. I don't know that he would do it, but it would be smart for him to do it, Peter. Maybe that's why at the end of the game, everybody stood up for Foster Moreau in that locker room. There was no grumbling. And after the play, everybody came up to him uh, on the sidelines. And Alvin Kamara was commiserating with him and, and 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 everybody you saw it and i just think at times there are times and look you know what's interesting mike the other day in my column uh i name a goat of the week every week and i or, or two you know goat not meaning greatest of all time i mean a guy who blew the game and the other day i named uh jake moody goat of the week i mean you know come on you got a 41-yard field goal. If you are a kicker, especially a kicker, drafted 99th overall, drafted in the third round, and I realize some rookies have tough times early. We're seeing it with the New England kicker after letting Mr. Perfect, Nick Folk, go, which is turning out to be an awful decision by Bill Belichick in a string of awful decisions. But you see that Jake Moody, I mean, he should have made that. And I got, I don't know, I'm, I got 8, 10, 12 letters from people. Jeez, the kid's a rookie. You're killing him after missing one kick as a rookie? And and I, you know, look, I don't know whether I'm going to answer a question about this in my column or not. But what I would say is, dude, you're in the NFL. You're getting paid now. This is, and 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 let's forget the NIL stuff and, however much money they're getting paid in college football. But this is your profession. A game is on the line that may mean home field in the playoffs. A game very well may mean home field in the playoffs. Whether you beat Cleveland you know, in, on a Sunday in October when you play like crap and it's there for you to win at the end and you don't win because your kicker misses a 41-yard field goal. I, you know, it's it's your fault. You did it. You missed it. You got to make that kick. And so, you know, if you're going to celebrate people, if they make a bunch of long kicks in a game, I do think you got to be willing to criticize them if they miss a kick that a kid playing Division Two could make eight out of ten. So anyway, 
That's how I feel. But Foster Moreau, it just seemed different because of the devastation involved and because of his uh, recent history. And it doesn't absolve him of of the blame for for not catching that ball. But I do believe in this particular case, they're sincerely extenuating circumstances. So I have to give our producer, Courtney, some credit. Because we've been, we've not been good today. We've talked too much. She never gets in my ear and says, move along, move along, move along. She lets us go. She lets us go. But I know when we have failed her. Because I can tell by looking at the document that we share electronically. When it says generic tease to break, that means you guys talked for so long, I had to go rip up the outline of what we had planned to do next, and now we have to scramble to reconfigure as to how we're going to cram the rest of the show into the time that we have left. Thanks for nothing. That's what generic tease to break means. Let's take a break. We'll have more PFT Live right after this. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection including fever sweats chills muscle aches or cough tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to emerge as you learn more about tremphia including important safety information at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527 see our ad in food and wine magazine for patients prescribed tremphia cost support may be available the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 